Well, good morning, everybody, and good morning to those of you online. I'm John. I'm one of your two retired pastors. The other one, Sue, my wife, is downstairs helping kids right now. So you can pray for her and bless her. She loves it. Uh, you know, as I looked out at you, I had, I had a number of thoughts. One is, what a wonderful community to be part of. Sue and I are so grateful for For us, it's been, uh, if you see... November will mean 32 years here. That's uh, incredible. And uh, however long you've been here, even if this is your first time being with us, we're so glad you're here. Hope you have a great experience, feel comfortable with us, experience God with us. I'm just uh, thankful to be one of you. Um, As I've been thinking about the messages these last few weeks, I've noticed a common theme, meeting Jesus. And so Pete, two weeks ago, shared, I thought, a powerful message on meeting Jesus through the Bible. And then last week, Barbara Pelletier shared a wonderful message on meeting Jesus through prayer. And I hope I can not completely fall below the bar here. hope I can do an encouraging and helpful job as we explore how we can meet Jesus through using our money well. Can I hear an amen? All right, all right, all right, all right. I know there can, there's lots of tension around the whole area of money, which is why Jesus talked about it actually more than any other topic, because he wants to help you and I with this important area of life. So I want to pray for us as we get going. Lord, I thank you so much that uh, you love us incredibly. Every single one of us, you know exactly where we are, what season in life we're in, the opportunities that are in front of us, the challenges we have, uh, what we need right now. We thank you for that, and we thank you that you love to meet with us, that we belong to you, you belong to us, we belong to each other, we're grateful for that, and uh, we ask by your Holy Spirit that uh, we would meet you today. I believe we already have in worship, it was wonderful, Uh, I pray we'd continue to as we look at the Bible now, in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I have learned over my 50-plus years of trying to follow Jesus that it's really important for me to learn to listen to Jesus' teaching. Uh, I've had an interesting experience this last, last few weeks. Uh, one of my ears got so clogged I could not hear hardly anything out of this side. And so I would always be turning and inclining my ear uh, to the people so I could hear them. Finally, I went and got my ears. Uh, had two wonderful nurses in Cannon Falls helped me by cleaning them out. And, oh my Lord, I could hear all the sounds and music today. It was awesome. So uh, that's physical, but it's so necessary for a relationship. But learning to hear Jesus' words in, in Scripture builds relationship with us. So uh, Jesus says this to us as he concludes his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone, that includes you, I suspect, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a rock. Building a house there is a metaphor for building your life. Uh, He says, Though the rain comes in torrents, and the floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house, we all go through storms, don't you? Don't we? Anybody going through a storm like recently in these last few years? You know, and if if you're in a really quiet spot right now, way to go. And let me just give you a little encouragement. A storm's coming. Anyway, <laughs> but the good news is, if we listen to Jesus and follow his teaching, our lives don't, won't need to collapse in the midst of those pressures. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it, it's foolish, like a person who builds a house on the sand. 
So learning to listen to Jesus' words, and we're going to look at two kinds of Jesus' words today, words of warning and words of promise. Wonderful warnings, precious promises. Can I just ask you, how many of you are so excited for the wonderful warnings? Well, there's a couple of us here. <laughs> how many of you are more excited for the precious promises? Yeah, we probably all are, right? I used to, before I pastored, I ran a, I managed a, uh, one of two different bookstores, Christian bookstores, Northwestern bookstores, and we had these little, little sweet Bible promise boxes. Sometimes they were like plastic loaves of bread. Oh, they were so cute. With verses in them that you could pull out, you know, which morning, whatever. And we sold a lot of Bible promise boxes. Do you know how many Bible warning boxes we sold? We didn't sell any because we didn't have any. Nobody would have bought them. And yet we need both to, I think, I know I need both to, to make progress in my life, to recognize the traps that are there that are trying to be to harm me. Jesus wants to warn you about those. And then the pathways, the great promises. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. Interestingly, Hebrews 3, 13 to 14, this is not going to be on the screen, I'm just going to read it to you, encourages you and I to do this kind of thing. So this is Hebrews 3.13 in the NLT. You must warn each other every day while it is still today. Interestingly, the NLT translates the word warn. If you go to the NIV, it translates it, translates it encourage. Huh? Well, which one is it? Well, it's both. It's the, the word has both meanings, warn and encourage, because a really good friend does both, Right? If you're going in a bad direction and you're going to really harm yourself, does a good friend say, whatever? No, a good friend will either try to get in your way. How many of you love that when your really good friends get in your way? <laughs> um, if they're really good friends and they love you, you probably don't like it, but you will really appreciate it when you realize what harm you could have fallen into. So we are to warn and encourage each other every day while it's still today, so that none of us will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we're faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. I ran uh, track in high school. I was a sprinter. I was super fast for my school. I set the, all the records in my school. But my school was really small and not very good in track. Anyway, so when I would get to the bigger meets, uh, I was thrilled if I could get third. That's as high as I ever got. But I learned that I had to make a good start if I had a chance at all. But I also needed to finish well. And so God wants you and I to make good starts in our relationship with him and following him. And he wants us to continue well and to be able to finish well, so our daily Bible reading plan today, when I read it, kind of looking at what I'm going to talk about, I realized, oh, it's all warning passages. Yay! <laughs> but I just try, I tried to receive them and look at them. I thought, yeah, I really need this. I think they'll be helpful for us. Um, I did decide that I would go a little further in the chapter to get to the promise side <laughs> so that we would hear both today. So we're going to listen to Jesus' words in Luke 12 as we start. Now, the context in the first few verses are this. The crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. And Jesus first turned to the disciples and he warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. And then there's more to say about that. But basically here, Jesus says he wants us to be people of integrity. 
so that what people see is what we really are. Uh, back 25 years ago now, in November of 97, John Wimber passed away. He was one of the early founders of the vineyard, and Sue and I were able to go to his funeral, which is still to this day one of the most powerful experiences with God I've ever had, which I, I, I was doing it out of honor and respect, but I, I got so much. What I got was his friends, John's family, and, his, and each one of his grandchildren spoke, and this was the common statement. John was a good person in public. He was a good teacher, a good leader. He was an even better person in private. He was the most generous person that his grandkids, he would take, when his grandkids turned double digits, like 10, he would take one of them to England with him to, as on a ministry trip. And at the end of the ministry, you know, John had lines of people wanting to talk to him. You know who he talked to first every single time? His grandson or his granddaughter. And he asked them, what did you see God doing today? How did you see people respond? Anything God say to you? And he, he, was, he was loving them and training them to see what God was doing in the world. And they just, you know, it, it touched my heart. And I said to myself then, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be a good person in public. Who wants to be a bad person in public? But I'd like to be even a better person in private. So Jesus is warning them, you know, warning them against the Pharisees, who interestingly also were incredibly greedy. That was a central characteristic of their life. They were greedy. So he says this, and then he encourages them. What's the price of five sparrows? It's two copper coins. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That's considerably easier for me at this point in time. But he numbers all of them. Amen. Yes, we got that. Uh, so don't be afraid, he says. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So again, he warns against hypocrisy, and then he encourages them. You are so valuable to God. I don't know if you think about hypocrisy. I'm not gonna, that's not my point today, but I just want to say this much more. Uh, why do people lie? I'm, I'm, I don't want to like paint you with a broad brush, but if you've ever lied, what, what's kind of behind it? I'll tell you for me what it's behind it is fear. Fear. I want to, it's self-protection. And lying, maybe it's just like embellishing slightly or bigly on the story. Uh, God wants us to be people that can be trusted all the time. So, in the midst of this, big uh, hubbub with the crowd of thousands, someone from the crowd calls out to Jesus, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then kind of recognizing what's going on here, what might be the underlying motivation, he says this, Beware or watch out. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured in, by how much you own. Then he told him a story, as Jesus loved to do. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, well, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat and drink and be merry. That was his perspective. 
I, I, I shudder when I hear like professional athletes or other people that have make, just signed a huge contract. I'm set for life, and my family is set for life for generations. And I think, oh, you're so foolish. Because what does God say to this guy? He says, you fool. You will die this very night. Now, the guy was accurate about one thing. He did have enough stored up for the rest of his life. Because <laughs> his life was ending that night. Then who's going to get everything you've worked for? And then Jesus again. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Fool in the Bible does not have anything to do with your intellectual capacity. It has to do with the direction of your life. A wise person, as Jesus said, is hearing and putting into practice. You know, I try to put Jesus' words into practice as soon as I can. Usually it's very poorly in the beginning. And then I hopefully get a little better as I continue. But I want to go that direction. A fool is going away from God and doesn't want to listen to God's wisdom, doesn't ask God, doesn't lean toward God, just on his or her own. So greed, um, excuse me, Paul accents the danger of greed in 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10 when he says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation, are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. This is not a good path. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It isn't money. It's the love of money. There's lots of people in Scripture that had really an abundance of resources. Abraham was wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, who gave the tomb to put Jesus' body in for those three days, he was super wealthy. It isn't that having money is wrong. It's your money having you that will produce all kinds of destruction in your life. Because money has a tendency to try to get control and to, and to make itself the center, the, the place you turn to. Like this guy was turning to money for his security. So Paul says, some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So this is a real danger that we must look out for. Now you, when I first read this, I thought, I got a lot of problems in life. I don't think greed's one of them. But... <laughs> Greed is deceptive. So I need help from God to actually be aware and recognize what's really going on in my life that where I might be in trouble. Anybody else with me there? I don't always see everything as clear. I need God's help. I need your help. So I just want to, I put out to you that Jesus considers this a real danger. We can look to money for our security like the rich fool did or our comfort or our significance, our status, or our power or control. We can do it on a personal scale or we can do it on a global scale. Can I just suggest to you, isn't the love of money what is driving uh, Putin and the leaders of Russia as they are attacking the Ukraine? What do they want? They want resources. They want land. They want power and control. That's love of money. That's already leading to all kinds of destruction, but it will not go well for them in the end unless they turn and repent and humble themselves. Now, we could talk about a number of examples in the US. We have, we, we have enough of it right here in our nation. Money, materialism, individualism, I think, and many scholars say are the central idolatries of American life. And they get expressed in all kinds of ways and they result in many kinds of injustice. And so God wants to help you and I uh, 
be free of these traps and, and be on the side of, of changing the world for good. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You will hate one, you will lo and love the other. You'll be devoted to one, you'll despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You know, God wants you to leave a really great legacy in the parable of the four soils, and there are four ways of hearing, actually. He says this about the seed that fell among the thorns. It represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the, what, worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Isn't this a sad picture? At the end of the life, no fruit is produced. You don't want that kind of a life, do you? I don't. I want the other kind of life where Jesus said the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of what? 30, 60, even 100 times. That's a life that multiplies with blessing to others, more people than you could ever imagine. I mean, think of some of your biggest dreams of how you want your life to really count. Actually, literally do that now. Just think right now. What, would, what do you want your life to be? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Can I say God's dream is even bigger than yours? More people encouraged, touched, helped, set free, experiencing Jesus. Well, how can we live free from the power of greed and the love of money? And how can we grow in, in, having, in loving generously like Jesus does? I want us to watch a video. Today's video day. A video from the Bible Project on generosity that I found encouraging. Hope you do too. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity, and so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham, and he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need, 
All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoil party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. Well, I hope that was helpful. I've watched that four or five times. I only need to watch it about a thousand times more to get it. Uh, but I'd encourage you, thebibleproject.com is a tremendous resource, help on understanding scripture and applying it to your lives. Uh, several things out of that, that that hit me. Number one, who is the generous host? God is, right? Have you ever been to a party where you didn't have to bring anything, everything was there, and you could have as, as much as you wanted? and uh, and you could share it with all those who came. Well, that's what, how God made the world. And then, of course, that's when he, how he sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help us experience his goodness and share it with each other. Uh, one of the other interesting things there is that uh, I, I listened to a podcast this week by a fellow who helps couples manage their money. And he talked about the psychology of money. And actually, Sue and I do this when we do pre-marriage prep. There's a little exercise we have people do called the meaning of money. They answer 20 questions, and it helps them understand how they actually see money as security or significance or whatever meaning money has. Because money has a meaning to all of us. 
And so this fellow on the podcast said, we all have an invisible internal script that we live by. And just hit me when I was watching this because, you know, God wants you and I to uh, see him as a generous, gracious father that would provide where there is enough. There's more than enough. I used to tease my mom when I'd offer to pray for her, and uh, she would say, oh, there's somebody else that's got a, a bigger need than I do. And I said, yeah, and that's right, and God just has a little bit. He's just got this little tiny cup, and he has to take from you to give her. And then she would hit me in the arm and say, quit it. You're teasing me again. <laughs> but that's how we would, we would get I said, Mom, there's enough for everybody. More than enough. Now, we have an enemy. He talked about the serpent in the garden. And, and the very first lie that knocked the first humans off was there isn't enough. God isn't good. You can't actually trust him. And so if you, if you can't trust God to provide for you, then who has to provide for you? You. And so I'll just tell you my in, internal script that I became aware of was I grew up with a scarcity mindset. I had a lot of anxiety and fear about not having enough. Now, we always had food. We had a roof over our heads. We didn't always have a lot more than that, but my parents were good. But somehow I developed this fear that I would never have enough. And so I brought this fear into my marriage with Sue. That's wonderful, right? <laughs> uh, end with my kids. And... Uh, you know, Sue and I, the arguments we've had in marriage have almost always revolved around money. Where it should go, why isn't there enough, da-da-da-da-da. Um, I, it led me to overworking, often doing two jobs, being angry when cars or appliances or other things broke. Spoiler alert, in a broken world, things break. Uh, but I hated it. I would actually talk to, my, my kids would say, Dad, why is Mom, why, Mom, why is Dad talking to the dryer. <laughs> well, sometimes I was praying over the dryer, keep, please keep it working for a little longer. And honestly, one time our dryer worked for one whole year beyond when it should have. Uh, but that's just, that was rare. Uh, anyway, uh, so I, uh, I struggled. Thankfully, Jesus has faithfully and persistently worked to set me free from the fear of not having enough. How's he done this? He's done it by the teaching and encouragement of the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through the warnings and promises I find in the Bible, by the encouragement and the prayers of his people like you. I am so grateful. And he continues to teach me that his father and my father is good and exceedingly generous. You could read, he was, he was quoting from Luke 12, the rest of the chapter. I'd encourage you to do that. He's so good that I can actually be generous. I can actually trust him that he's actually going to provide for me, and I can give generously. In fact, I've learned that as I give generously, I am, I am better off, and so are the people that, that I am helping. Jesus said, give, and it will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together. Picture, picture a basket with coins where you shake it together so you can get more coins in. You keep getting more coins in, and eventually it overflows. That's the picture of Jesus overflowing generosity. And really, if you, if you look at any passage of the Bible where you are encouraged to give generously, you know what's there right with it? A promise that God is going to bless you, provide for you, take care of you, and increase your resources so you can be even more generous. Okay, 
So we have XL Energy at our house, which is electricity and heat and air conditioning and so on, and we're glad for it. And I, we pay that bill every month. It's automatically taken out of our checking account. Uh, and we give to River Heights, and we do that on a recurring way through push pay. So that's also taken right out of our account. So there's, there's, they're similar, right? And they're very different. My XL energy payment actually doesn't multiply. It's an expense. It's not an investment. Now, it's a necessary expense. I like air conditioning. I like heat. I like lights. Uh, so it's necessary. But when I give to God's work, it's an investment that multiplies. Very different. Very different. So I would encourage you, if you want to see your life multiply, your finances multiply, trust God and give to him. So let me read to you a passage that's really helped me, 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. I think it's one of the short and best summaries of how to use money well. Paul teaches Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Do you know that God wants you to be more joyful than you are probably currently? And some of you are tremendously joyful, but he's got even more joy for you. Some of you might be joy challenged like I was for a big part of my life. Well, he's got joy for you. He wants to bring joy into your life. He doesn't want to barely meet your needs. He wants to meet your needs and bring joy into your life. That's what Paul is saying here. And then he says, so trust God, not your money, because it's just wise. And then tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place to be, to live, where you're always ready to share? Now, that's, there's a whole lot involved in being ready, like having a spending plan, knowing where your money is going, actually telling your money where to go versus finding out months later where it went. Uh, and we're going to do a series of messages in the fall on, on, the, on, the, on all of the issues, or as many as we can cover, on how to, how to manage money wisely for this goal so that you and I can always be ready to be able to share and use the resources that God has provided when he taps us on our shoulder. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember something called Ready Reserve in the bank. Anybody remember Ready Reserve? It was this awesome, slightly less than awesome thing where if you overdrew your, your bank account, uh, you know, the, the bills would get paid, the gifts would be given, and then the bank would generously charge you 15 to 18% on, the, on that money. Uh, at least that's what my bank did. There are so many times where Sue and I, we'd hear, we'd want to be, we'd want to give. And then I, I remember once saying, I do not want ready reserve to do my giving anymore. Which meant that we needed to learn how to manage what we had. But God is able to do this. He's able to bless you, teach you, help you be wise so that you can do this. Now, what will happen as we do this? By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. You are actually sending things ahead, as it were. And you will experience true life right now. So this is, this is, this is for legacy leaving, but it's for living right now. God wants you to have the best life right now, and then on into the new heaven and new earth. So, who benefits from as we choose to live this way? You will. 
The rest of us will. The world will. And God will be honored. And people will see God more clearly as a generous father. So how can you begin if this is new journey to you? How can you grow if this is a journey you've started and you want to go further in? And can I just, before I say these things, I want to say this. You are an incredibly generous people. Way to go. River Heights has been known for the 32 plus years as a generous community to this larger community, to the world around us. It's because of you and your willingness to trust God and to give faithfully and generously. Way to go. Now, how can, we, how can we grow even more? If this is a new journey for you, I would just say, get started. Starting is the, is the first step, and sometimes the most challenging step. Now, if you say, well, I don't know how much. What is, what is, what is a good start? I'll just tell you what Sue and I did. This is what we were taught. We were taught to give the first 10% of our money to God's work and that he would bless that, and we would, 90% with God's full blessing would always go way further than 100% without it. And so, hey, what did we know? I don't know anything about anything. I hardly ever read the Bible. So I thought these were good people. Their lives were good. All right, so I did it. And it was simple. If I made $100, move the decimal point one notch to the left, 10 bucks. I didn't even have to have my calculator I did, uh, with me because I never did have my calculator with me. So simple, clear, that's a good place to start. Where? I, I want to give toward what I believe are the priorities that God gives in Scripture. And he wants to, he's throwing this huge party, and he wants you and I to experience the party and help throw it, right? That's part of what we look at Sunday, we do other things. This is the party of the kingdom of God. Come on in. we got a generous host and a great father. He loves you. You will love him if you get to know him. Come and join us. We get to be part of throwing the party through our giving of all ways, finances, time, energy, gifts, and so on. So I'm going to pitch to you why giving to the general fund. If River Heights is your home, I'm going to pitch to you give here. If you, if, you, if you have another church for your home, give there. I'm going to pitch to you why giving to the general fund is baseline and the best place to get started because it helps the greatest amount of people, the broadest range of people are given. Hear me, I'm grateful for all the special gifts people give, for like the Ukraine, you guys gave a tremendous amount several different times to the Ukraine. God bless you. Uh, this isn't to diminish any of that. But if you're getting started and you want a pattern of life, I'm going to pitch giving to the general fund. Why? And I'm not even paid from the general fund. Okay. So, but I used to be, but I'm not now. Why? One, children benefit. Children downstairs benefit or over there. Youth benefit. We have curriculum and a staff that loves them and teaches them and supports and works with you as family. The community around us benefits. Cahill Place benefits. Loaves and Fishes benefit. Treehouse Ministry benefits. People in other countries benefit. We just have the Schneiders here who live in Arkansas, but they're working in Turkey and the Balkans. They benefit. The Lans Gary Lansdowne was just here. He and Aneta benefit. Vineyard Partners, an organization Sue and I are part of that work in Mexico. So many workers benefit every single week in Mexico because of your giving. Vineyard USA, planting churches in the U.S. and around the world benefit because of your giving. You say, what? I didn't even know my giving was going any of those places. When you give to the general fund, a portion of it goes to all of those places. And you support the staff and the spiritual leaders here. Plus, you get to have air conditioning 
and the lights are on, and a space to meet, and coffee. Who pays for the coffee? Uh, you do. Along with everything else. We are a crowd-funded ministry. And guess what? You're the crowd. <laughs> I laugh. We, we had a lot of nice trees out there, but I have never found in 32 years a money tree where we could just go out and grab some money when we needed it. There isn't such thing. But God is gracious and generous, and he wants to bless your life so much, and then he wants to bless through you. He, doesn't want to, he won't skip you to bless others. He'll bless you, and he'll bless through you. He wants to do that more and more. And even as the video said, the way to get in on that flow of blessing is to choose to trust God and give. Because he multiplies what you give. And uh, I'm, I love numbers and I love math, and I've learned this about math. <coughs> Zero times any other number is still what? Zero. But one times another number is something. Two, three, four, five. God wants to bless your life and provide for you. This is what Paul says. God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's the hope. That's the plan. Now, I, I'm not saying this is magic. I'm not saying it's going to happen, you know, in the next, you know, 30 minutes. I'm saying this is a lifestyle you choose, and over the long haul, you will see multiplication. You'll see a multiplication of wisdom that will help you make decisions about money that are better than the, maybe the ones you've made before. You'll, you'll, they'll see, you'll see a growth in faith and connection to Jesus and his purposes, and he will provide for you in ways you could not have organized yourself. G.K. Chesterton, British Christian, once said, every person in life wants two things. Adventure! Security. <laughs> Following Jesus, you get both. You get to join him in a great adventure that will challenge you to your bottom of your socks. <laughs> and you get security that he will provide more than you could ever imagine and dream of. I remember when we were, when we were trusting God to build the very first edition we had a meeting in the original auditorium, and the leaders among us, we all had prayed for a month or so and, and, and heard from God what we should give toward this, because we needed uh, over $565,000, uh, and we had 90 adults and 45 kids, and the kids were extremely generous and had low allowances. Anyway, uh, so, so when, we, when, we, uh, when, when the leaders came forward to give their gifts, and we, and we did the, the total, I cried. It was way more than I had ever dreamed of. And I thought, oh, my Lord, you love Jesus. You love us. We're in this together. Sue and I, we, I remember we prayed like four different times. We prayed, came up with a number. Hers was higher. We prayed again. Hers was higher again. Prayed again. Hers was still higher. I thought, I don't think I'm going to pray anymore. <laughs> No, I did pray one more time, and I got on board, and God helped us accomplish that. And right after we made that wonderful commitment, our son Nick says, Hey, Dad, Mom, I'm getting married in, in December. Awesome! And then Carrie came, Hey, Dad, Mom, we're going to get married in June. Awesome! And Sam said, By the way, I'm going to college this fall. Awesome! 
right in the middle of all that. But God took care of it, and we trusted him together. He's got better ideas. He's got deeper pockets. He loves you, and he wants you engaged and involved. So I want to pray for us. I'd like the worship team to come back. We like to respond to God's word with worship and prayer. And uh, so on the prayer side, if, if you're on the prayer team, it would be really great to have you come and be on one of the sides and be available for people who'd like prayer. For this word to work more deeply in your life, here are some things you can do. You could read Luke 12 and 1 Timothy 6. You could ask God to free you from a scarcity mindset like I have needed his freedom from and help you see him as a generous father who provides abundantly. And then do, I would encourage, you know, if you haven't gotten started on your generosity journey, get started today. If you have been started, then I would say, well, ask God, what's your next step? What's the next step that you want for us? And I would encourage you to really consider, you know, giving and increasing your giving to the, what God's doing here at River Heights if this is your home. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you are the generous host. Lord, I pray for all of us that you'll help us see you that way. We thank you for creation. We thank you for the way you provide for the birds and the flowers. We thank you that you provide for all the animals. We thank you that you provide for us. We want to see you that way more and more and more. We want to grow in trusting you. Now, Lord, right now there's a number of us that are, we're in a, in a, in maybe in a not great spot. Lord, we want to come and bring that to you. We bring our real lives to you right where we are. And we ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom and your direction. We ask that you provide and break in and, and help us. Lord, some of us are in... Uh, Maybe we're in a pretty good spot, and uh, we want to be faithful to you with what you've given us. We want to be generous and even grow in generosity our whole life long. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Show us what that means. Show us how to respond. What are our next steps? And we pray for our, our whole community here. We thank you that you have so provided over these 30-plus years, amazingly, miraculously, and you've changed all our lives in the process of turning to you and trusting you and following you. But we want, uh, we want that journey to continue. We want more people to experience your love, more people to be set free. Free us from everything that we need to be free from. Free us so that we can step into all that you have for us, that we can like live out and leave the legacies that we desire to leave, that you want us to leave. Now, a couple thoughts for, for praying. Uh, I sense, you know, the number of us, we probably all have decisions coming up. Some of you have particular anxiety about decisions that are coming up. They relate to money or health or both. And God really wants to touch you and help you right in the midst of that. As I prayed that we could all leave the best legacy I can, maybe you want somebody to pray for you and say, I want, us to, I want to make the choices right now, and I want to continue to make the choices so that that can be true for me. Maybe you want some prayer for that. I, I felt like God said, there's rich blessing coming. And I felt that was family related. And I felt like God was saying, I am hearing, I'm hearing prayers for many, many years for children coming to Jesus back to Jesus 
connecting to Jesus, connecting to family. I felt like he said, I am reconciling people. I am I'm bringing healing in relationships. Uh, so there's, there's blessing coming for families. And if that relates to you, I would say grab onto that and say, yes, Lord. Thank you for hearing my prayers. Then I saw a big O. And I felt like the Lord said, there's a big opportunity coming. Now, there's opportunities coming for all of us. But I felt like maybe some of you are praying for some things. And I felt like God said, something's coming. So, Lord, we trust you with these things. We ask that you would uh, you'd, you'd reconnect family members. You'd reconcile. You'd bring healing. Uh, Lord, those of us that have been praying for family, maybe for many years, to experience your love or to turn back to you, we thank you for your encouragement. We're not going to quit, Lord. We're going to continue to pray. But we ask, do what's needed, Lord. Break into the lives of our loved ones and use us in the ways that you want for this to happen. If, uh, Somebody may have a collarbone issue or a right knee issue. If that's you, we'd love to pray for you for those things as well. The worship team will lead us now, and then they'll tell us when we're dismissed. God bless you.